Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. I created this podcast to speak with progressive CEOs, strategic HR leaders, and forward-thinking experts who are passionate about leadership and creating positive work cultures. I'm excited for today's guest, and all of you know that I say this every time because I am very excited every time with the people that I get to speak to on this podcast. And today we're going to be speaking with Mike Vacanti. Mike is a speaker, consultant, CEO advisor, author, and founder of the Humans First Club. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you very much. And I have to say, Kristen, I don't know how you could not be excited in uh, speaking to those people and that type of audience, bringing these ideas forward. I'm, I'm really excited to be with you as well. Thank you. And I think a, a wonderful place for us to start off is, Mike, you and I met, um, I think it's about a year and a half ago, through you starting the Humans First Club and someone, me personally, who has a mission to humanize the workplace and, and transform workplaces and leaders, I immediately gravitated to you and what you were creating. So, so talk to me about the Humans First Club. What, what was the mission around creating this? It really was a, a, a form of discovery, Kristen. And, and as I was out working with companies, inside companies as a consultant, working with teams, bringing my high achieving, high achieving team program out, I realized that there was a, a real disconnect in how we were viewing performance and what people were actually experiencing. And and it surprised me. And as I started to look into a lot of the research around that, um, it was clear that we're on a path that was neither desirable nor sustainable and started evaluating what, what, uh, what could we do as a group of people to better understand what's actually going on instead of what's being prescribed to us. And so a small group of us got together and, and kicked off uh, the first event in, in New York City, and it really was kind of an experiment to say, ask people just very simply, what's it like to be human in the workplace today? What are you experiencing? What's the reality out there of each of those different experiences? And through that process, the, the idea was, if we can empower people to really identify what's truly happening, we can start to address some of the systemic issues that are, that are barriers. And together, we can start to create opportunities to move past that. And people start raising their hands from around the country and then all over the world. So we've done 11 events now. Um, in London last year, and this um, this second cycle of Humans First is truly going global, where we'll be in Australia, Singapore, India, um, several uh, uh, European countries, be in Dublin in March. And I have a little surprise for you, and I kept it for the live conversation here, but we will be able to start planning for about that third week in April, and uh, we'll finally get together and, and 
and uh, share that experience in Toronto. <gasps> oh, so kind to say it live with, oh my goodness. I, I can't wait to bring this to Toronto. It's, uh, and there's such an appetite um, in Toronto. There's a really, um, really close knit community that really wants to talk about humanizing the workplace. So I think this is going to, and, and organizations that are progressive and want to hear about this. So I'm so happy to hear that, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. And we have, you know, along with you, we have a, a, a really great group of people that have expressed the interest and jumped in and, and really been asking for it. So um, I'm excited to make that happen. I'm excited to get to see you in person and give you a nice big hug, Mike. <laughs> right, right. It'll be a great day. So I'm curious, you've been doing this for a year and a half now, and you're starting to see a lot of momentum with these, um, with these conversations. What are some, and I know there's a lot of, of things that are showing up, but high level, what are some of the common themes that you're seeing when you start to have these dialogues and, and hear about people's experiences around what they want more of, what some of the struggles are that they're seeing in the workplace? What's been interesting, um, Kristen, is, is and and I would say that it's the one theme that really jumps out consistently is people don't feel empowered to make change. Um, even as we discuss what's possible and they, and they hear examples of, of people making positive change in their workplaces, they still envision their environment as being very closed and not accepting of the simple things of, can we just care about each other more? And what does that look like? What changes, what's the development programs that we put in place to simply empower each other and support each other better? And some of that is just a belief system because it's never been explored. And so it's an assumption. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great opportunity for us to simply go in and start these conversations inside companies. But also know that there's a support group outside of the company, that there are literally thousands of people around the world that are not only brilliant in their approach, many different approaches. So there's not just one way to do something, but there's many avenues in, many paths forward. We just need together to be able to redirect the arrow and create a better direction that we're all pointing and let all those different paths converge in that direction. But it's the resistance they perceive or feel inside their organizations. And I think that we've just become very rote in our routines. Yeah. Um, most of the time in environments when we hear people talk about how they're experiencing their workplace or addressing change, they feel that most of their days are just to prove the mathematical equation that's been laid upon them. Yeah. You come in, you work these hours, you do these tasks, and this is the result. And if we need to whip you, we will. And if we yeah. don't, we'll pat you on the back, but um, expect the whip, not the pat. And, and um, we've become so brilliant in our efficiency and orchestration and the way that we've applied sophisticated systems into the business and the real opportunity is not to discard all of that but simply to retoggle with today's needs and today's needs are clearly set with 
the, the research that indicates we are at an inflection point that the mental and physical wellness is challenged within the workplace and people are feeling more isolated than ever before. And there's many factors coming into that. So there's this opportunity to really go into, co into companies and <coughs> pardon me <coughs> to, <coughs> to open hearts and multiply impact. And we can do that in small concentric circles. Start with the people that we interact with the most, let that spread out into bigger teams, and then teams to teams. We don't have to wait from the, for the, the uh, edict to come down from on high to create this change. We don't have to wait for the CEO to have a personal epiphany and all of a sudden, you know, we have Bob Chapman and Barry Waymiller being replicated in every company. That, that isn't necessary. We are actually empowered to do this with the people we interact with every day. Mm. And that's what we're discovering is what does that look like? And what's the effect and the change available? If we take responsibility for our, the dot we stand on and then the um, how that expands and multiplies out to others. Yeah, it's really, it's thinking about that self-leadership, right? Each of us has an opportunity to think about when we wake up in the morning, how we're going to show up, um, how we can contribute to the situation around us, how we can connect to the humans around us. So if we start to do that, um, it, it, I've always found that even in organizations where it's there's cer certain pockets are doing their own thing, even separate from the other part of the organization, because they're embracing that. And I'm, I'm curious, have you um, come across with a lot of the work you're doing, because you do a lot of consulting and speak with CEOs, um, organizations that have really gotten this and start to put this into play? Because I think sometimes um, my experience has been when I, I speak to some companies, uh, it's actually very linear thinking here in the head and not going into the heart. And they're like, oh, it doesn't, or it doesn't work like that. That's not how business works. And it's not going to have a return on investment. And you and I both know it actually has a huge return on investment because we understand companies are here to make profit for sure. Um, but everything changes when you take this, this paradigm shift, when you take it from this philosophy. So are there some companies that you can think of that have started to really embrace this philosophy and seen some great results? Yeah, I think there's, um, there are good examples out there. And I, I think, Kristen, that we see and hear about a lot of great examples in, in um, smaller companies yes. where um, the, the, the groups of people actually have much more influence. It's not so systemic. Yes. But there are large companies that are, I think, strong examples. And I mentioned Barry Waymiller earlier and, you know, with Raj Sisodia and, and, and the um, conscious capitalism um, group, I think that is being brought to light well and being better understood. And they have programs that are out helping companies adopt. Yeah. Um, you know, next month with Humans First, we'll be in, uh, on February 11th, we will be February 13th, we will be in San Diego mm -hmm. and uh, Gary Ridge with the WD-40 company mm -hmm. will be with us. He's the chairman and CEO of WD-40. And because of Gary's philosophy on how to take care of people, 
they have a perpetual 93% employee engagement. Wow. Um, he takes the approach that um, there really aren't mistakes made in the company. There's learning opportunities mm -hmm. created. And it's just that philosophical, he comes at it from a servant leader. Um, truly, um, I would say, ingrained in the culture of the company. And so that's a good example. I think, you know, Southwest Airlines, we've had people from Southwest Airlines speak at a couple of our events and get into, you know, what's really going on there. They've been able to sustain that type of culture for a while. Patagonia. Um, um, the, so there are the larger company examples. And I think what's really refreshing is people in leadership are really starting to wake up to the fact that um, I have pressures to grow the company. Mm -hmm. And squeezing more capacity out of each person is probably not the way forward. That I have to learn how to create more capacity in the organization by lifting people up, making them whole and letting them come to work with some joy rather than just that grind and pressure. So the need is recognized. The how is what we're all discovering together. And that's the messy part, Kristen, because my belief with this and why humans first takes the approach that we do, there is not one best way to do this. Mm -hmm. um, the belief in one best way, best practices, has probably become our greatest barrier, not our greatest opportunity. And when we can find the person that we connect with, with their program, when we can find the solution that's being offered that meets our current need, it gives us that first step and then it kind of blossoms from there. Um, instead of choosing, we're going to take this methodology and it came from this person and we're going to drill down and move that through all our systems. It's, it's that same systems thinking one size fits all force yeah. it into unnatural areas that we continue to make the same mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. You and I really share that philosophy of, the, of it's not a one size fits all, just like it's not a one size fits all for people. We all are very unique human beings and what we need and our motivations and how we like to be led is different. It's right. the same for within an organization. There's, and, I, and I really appreciate what you said there. It, it almost gives the organization some permission and a little bit less pressure. Experiment. Try what feels good for you. If it resonates, try that and just be willing to to experiment a little and you know that is a good jumping off point for your new book believership um, what was the I, I can imagine everything we're talking about today but what was the catalyst what was the impetus to really uh, bring this book and and I always think when somebody writes a book they're really birthing a book it's a, it's a big deal so what what really called you to write this book I really appreciate that opportunity and interestingly enough Kristen uh, the Humans First Club, this, this um, volunteer year of my life, I, I just, year and a half of my life I just put forward is, um, it really was the, the seed that grew out of the soil that was believership. And so three and a half years ago when I was transitioning back or out of my fifth merger and acquisition, 
right? So stepping out of the tornado again, which, you know, I kind of like chaos and, and solving that. And, and my experiences were you don't solve it with business systems and, and business philosophy orchestration. You solve it by engaging people and getting them to buy in. And I had hired a coach and we went through and, and, and dissected those five merger and acquisition experiences and why my teams were successful. And, and the concept that came out of that was, was believership. Um, while it's a, a word that um, will show up on your spell check as you type it, um, because it's, <laughs> it, was, it was created because it was actually the experience people were having that made them feel empowered to do something that was very difficult. And the belief in each other, the belief in the mission, the belief in the leader was really what carried through the, the successful nature. And, and those philosophies of people being business, you know, people are your business and business is people. Um, that's what the humans first sprung out of. So it, it actually preceded humans first, which was interesting. And, and as I, um, went through these 11 events and you know half of those events are are deep dialogue so learning a lot of many others experiences that prompted me to write the book which is really an invite to a conversation yeah. here's how i got to this point of having these beliefs these are the things i've experienced and witnessed what i what i think and believe and i share that as a prompt and an opportunity to rediscover a better way to do things, to let go of some of the burdens that we're carrying forward that from a bygone era that don't belong anymore. And then it finishes with what am I personally doing to make a difference? Mm. So it's not a philosophical thing. It's this is what I see. This is what the research says. And this is what I'm doing. How about you? And this is volume one, the experience, um, believership, the superpower beyond leadership, because we over tilt on these containers and these characteristics and these um, mythical figures we call leaders. And we call business managers leaders and they're not, they're business managers. And we need to make that distinction that two different skills. And so it really was the um, invite to throw away notions and beliefs that no longer serve us and re-explore, regenerate human potential, human capacity, and prepare us for a future that's going to be more rapid and more significant change than we've ever experienced before. And we're simply not prepared for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that it was necessary to throw a wake-up call out there and an invite to solve it together. Because again, I think that many different perspectives, many different experiences, and the beauty is in all of our diversity. So how do we include everybody into this journey forward? And that's really the invite. So volume two will be the um, discovery 
And I invite everybody in to share their experiences and their ideas and we'll pull all that together in a second volume and, and then we'll have volume three, the outcome and see what happens from that. Um, yeah. Well, and what you and I were talking about um, offline before we started the podcast, Mike, which I think you do so beautifully is um, the path forward is not I'm right. You're wrong. It's let's have an open discussion in here and learn from one another and collaborate and not let's, let's stop the divisiveness and pointing fingers. Um, but to make this a really open, open dialogue because that's where change really happens. Yeah. I think it's really important because we learn constantly and the experiences we all have at different points in our life, different career, difficulties we've been through and overcome, um, coming from different countries, different backgrounds, we experience the same thing in a very different way through our own lens. And I think it's important to have that kaleidoscope view, if you will. It is all the different colors. It is all the different patterns. And selecting one and forcing it on another is what we've done in the past. And that's what's brought us to this point that I think is crippling us. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, it's, it's funny because it's, it seems so easy to me. Think of how we look at creating great change inside our organizations. And we think we need the new system and we need the think tank to come in and teach us about process. And, and then we have the implementation and, and then there's the years of getting everybody on board and convincing them again, that this is what they need and, just wake up and adopt it and you'll be fine, fall in line, get on the bus, all those silly things that we've been trained to tell people. And I still go to conferences and hear people say and shudder. Um, That's not what will solve it. We simply have to pause for a moment, realize that we're at an inflection point and give ourselves and each other permission to change our minds. It's to open up our minds and make a new decision. So imagine that the greatest shift we can make in our companies is as simple as making new and better decisions Mm -hmm. and not justifying the past decisions. And I love this, and I know that you do work in this area, Kristen, is that to me is the greatest expression of vulnerability we we could put into play. Are you vulnerable enough to change your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Show me that strength. Yeah. You don't have to get naked and undress all of your beliefs and your education, and your experiences. Yeah. Just be vulnerable enough. Yes. To change your mind. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot with what you're talking about, a conscious leadership, right? Are you above the line or below the line? And a lot of times when you're above the line is you are being open and you're not pointing fingers and you are, Um, And even to the point where um, from the self-leadership perspective, you were talking about whenever things happen, it's even sometimes holding the philosophy, it's not happening to me, it's happening for me. And what can I learn in this situation, right? So to me, what what you're saying is removing some of the ego and, and, and that's 
Yes. And that can be, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. It's been very built. All of us have built up that ego over time with a lot of conditioning. So it's not going to happen overnight, but it's baby steps. And, and the, the next time where something where you can feel yourself getting really triggered and not agreeing with what somebody says, take some deep breaths, try to get grounded, try to be recentered, and then ask yourself, hmm, what might it be like to hold on to hold this perspective for a second, just for a second, just right. for a second, what might that feel like? And it gets easier and easier. I, I always describe it as building a muscle, right? It's over time, you know, consistency. You don't go to the gym once and get these nice big muscles. Right. It takes time and consistency. Um, and, but over time, it starts to get easier and easier. I love that. And it's a great metaphor. Consistency over perfection. Um, we don't have to have it right to start. We need to start to get it right. Yeah. And we're not taught that, right? We, we want the end point all figured out before we even take that step. Yes. It's rethinking that when we take that best next step. The horizon changes. I believe personally that the horizon often improves. Mm -hmm. We can achieve more than what we had set out to do because of that approach, because of that openness, because of the awareness yeah. that we're living with and allowing into each day. Yeah. That awareness of self, the awareness of others, and the awareness of the market. Yeah. Look how many companies have been blindsided with their rigid belief system and their ego of we know better, those silly people, don't talk to me about emotions. Um, yes, that worked for Sears really well. And, you know, many of the other, what, 70% of the Fortune 500 companies that have turned over in a rapid period of time. Those rigid beliefs in leadership, because we're talking about inspiration, inspirational leadership how inspirational is that ceo and why are we depending so much on them when the average tenure inside a fortune 500 company is less than five years christy yeah it's like i wouldn't bank my whole employee ethos and um and direction off of that ceo that is is going to flip out of that seat mm. in less than five years mm-hmm we operate in a non-sustainable ideology and that's our opportunity mm -hmm. um, let's make the ceo's job easier by creating the environment underneath them to keep the organization innovative bring in human ingenuity and creativity which is the biggest piece that's missing and our over-orchestration and process dependence and control mechanisms continue to bury that ingenuity, mm -hmm. even that human spirit. Mm -hmm. um, that's our opportunity to, mm -hmm. to pivot from that. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it is it doesn't take hundred million dollars to go in and and reconfigure your organization we just need to start the right conversations to allow people to come in with a smile on their face mm -hmm. come in with ambition and hope and start to engage in the relationships 
that are driving every good thing happening for every company. Relationships with the people around us, relationships with our clients, relationships with our suppliers, relationships with our shareholders. Um, focus on the things that we actually can enjoy through engagement and let go of the controls. Yes. We can put choice above control. I think we win. Mm-hmm. And that's a fundamental idea that I put forward in the book, Believership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious for you, Mike, because I've seen it. I've worked with, um, you know, I do a lot of leadership coaching and I've seen shifts with leaders that used to have the old way of doing things, the old paradigm, and all of a sudden started to take those baby steps and realize there's a different way. Um, Is there anyone in this moment that jumps out at you um, where you've seen, you know, there was a certain way of behaving and all of a sudden they started to behave differently and how they saw um, as, as the individual, as the leader, because we sometimes talk with the overarching organizations, but you and I both, are, are, we both acknowledge it's one person at a time, right? Anytime that that leader or that individual, right, because self-leadership as well, starts to see things a little bit differently and, and put this in, into place, that's, that's where it starts. Is there, can you think of a story um, that you've experienced over the last little while where someone started to, to experience some of that shift? Yeah, there there are there are several of them, and um, so to to pick one because it's a journey, right? And and when I go in and work with groups of people, which is generally how I I I work, um, we put some of those pieces in play for everybody to participate, and they're aware of each other, and they're aware of how they approach, um, and occasionally. Um, and it's happened a couple of times in pretty, well, they're very large companies that I've done works with significant amount of teams. They'll be the resistance from one or two of the members on the team because that's not how they were trained to do it. And that's not how they got to the point that they're at. Right. And the, while they understand the concept of what, we're trying to do inside the organization or as a team. They don't believe it's a fair trade-off to take the ladder away from them that they've climbed their whole career. They feel lost. So when they, um, this, then it goes into personal coaching and it takes a little bit of extra work for them to explore their own self-belief because they become dependent on these, these tools of authority. And I'll just frame it that way because we can all envision what that might mean. Um, But because I've achieved a certain level and I have that respect and authority and people view me a certain way and I can be the, the tough guy, the, 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 um, um, the, the, you know, the brilliant woman, the, the, the tough woman, right? The, whatever the characteristics are that we come to define ourselves with. And when that doesn't feel like an unraveling of them as a person, mm-hmm. but more of an open exploration of their beliefs in moving toward an objective, that's where the great change can come in. 
And so instead of being, let's drill into you personally and you need to change, we need to transform you, you're gonna end up being a different person. It's not that, we just need to allow you to be all of you mm-hmm. and change your mind on how you get right. to the goal line. Yes. Everybody doesn't have to you know, fall on their sword and pile up at the end of the, the, um, um, at the, end of the tape in a race, right? We don't have to kill each other to get to the finish line. What happens, I ask them to envision, if you're just in full stride when you cross the finish line yeah. and others are running with you and everybody still feels healthy, they don't feel beat up. Yeah. They're empowered. Wouldn't you like to go into your next quarter, your next fiscal year with that kind of energy? Yeah. How is that possible and how can you be the leader that makes that possible? Yeah. And I think when they understand it's a process of letting go, as much as it is a process of learning, mm-hmm. that's a big shift. Mm-hmm. It's not so much what we adopt, it's what we let go of. Yes. Oftentimes, it's, it's not what we do next, it's what we stop doing. Mm-hmm. What we stop doing is often much more important than what we do next. Yes. So yeah. what are the behaviors that people resist or people um, kind of cringe? Why, why, why is the room tighten up when you enter it? Um, why do we go down the rabbit hole with a certain individual because you're judging them and their ability to be more like you? Don't ask people to be like you. Don't ask people to do it your way. Stop doing those things and the, the upside will naturally appear. Yes. Yeah. That's such a great example, Mike. And uh, like you, you said, it's helping them understand there's actually another way. And at the end of it, with this other way, you're going to actually feel energized as opposed to feeling like you're depleted and you have nothing left in you. And it's sometimes it's, it can feel a bit scary if you have yeah. this way of doing things. It's the the comfortable and the known, even though the known might not be that good for you, but at least the known feels comfortable. So it's recognizing and being in the what's going to be a bit messy because it's uncomfortable and it's new, and then getting to that other side and realizing, wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and sometimes it's it's funny because we can tell them you can still keep your crown or your tiara or whatever it is. We won't take that away from you. Yeah. So you can you can still have your authority or position you can feel however it's important for you to feel about that position you've attained we're not taking that away you don't have to point to the crown and the tiara and and you know strike the gavel on the table every time you have a point yeah yeah people will just believe in you because you've shown you believe in them mm-hmm mm. Powerful. I almost want to end here, but I always like to give my guests the final thoughts as we wrap up, because thank you so much, Mike, for showing, sharing so much rich, rich information with us today. But is there a final thought you'd like to leave with the audience? Find a way to engage. And, and I mean that where, you know, even in the Humans First Club, there's been 40 some different speakers and there'll be more when we get to Toronto and you'll be one of them. So Engage with Kristen, engage with the people that have the programs to explore a different way to do things. Because 
when we recognize we're at that inflection point, find the relationship, find the program that gives you the idea and comfort to move forward, but make a change every day. Let's be learners, not rigid know-it-alls. Mm. A, a beautiful way to end it. Make a change every day. Make that commitment. Thank you, Mike, so much for being here. This is such a great joy. And, and um, it's been a long time coming, Kristen. I'm very excited for what you're doing with the podcast and your work. And I know that's accelerated through these three years. And it's really been fun to watch you bring that to life and, and you know, create such positive change in organizations. Thank you, Mike. And you are inspiring everyone with what you've created as well. So um, the path forward is there's lots of possibilities. Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you.